0: It is a joy to be with you this morning. As Pastor Chad mentioned, I love Edgewood Baptist Church. Uh, I grew up here. I went to Sunday school here. I went to Awana here. I interned here, was ordained here, and it's always fun and a joy to return and preach here as well. My wife is Molly, and she actually is in ministry as well as a full-time pro-life, pro-family lobbyist in Springfield, Illinois. Not the easiest of ministries, to say the least. So I know that she would appreciate your prayers as she ministers there. But we also do have a new addition to the family. Stella June Rumley is five and a half months old, and she is quite the blessing from the Lord. Amen. And let me assure you that if you hear any squeaks, squeals, or screams from Stella, that I do have the gift of interpretation, and I assure you that she's saying, Dad, you're doing great, preach even longer. You'll have to take my word on that one, but saints, it is a privilege to worship Jesus with you this morning, so turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and as you turn there to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I wanted to prepare a message that would encourage you to enter into 2023 with optimism as we look toward the future, that we are going to engage with Paul's understanding of what eternity will be like, specifically what the resurrection of the body will be like for believers. And even though we may look around and find plenty of reasons to seemingly be discouraged, cynical, or even depressed, that when the Christian understands the biblical teaching, that when we look towards the future, when we look towards eternity, specifically on the doctrine of the resurrection of the body, we can all say together for the Christian, the best is yet to come, So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, keep your finger there, because I want to give you some context from Second Corinthians chapter 4, beginning here in verse 13. As I read, let me remind you, this is the infallible, inerrant word of God. Jesus in the Gospels would oftentimes read scripture, and to the Sadducees, he said, Have you not read what God has spoken to you? That if we have the same mindset of scripture that Jesus had, when it is being read, we can properly say that this is God speaking. Let's begin here in verse 13 of chapter 4 here in 2 Corinthians. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal way of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Before we dive into chapter five, you can see that Paul's motivation is to encourage the Christians in Corinth to not lose heart. The more I find myself scrolling on social media, the more I find myself watching CNN or Fox News, the more I look around at the landscape of our culture, I find plenty of reason to lose heart. (laughs) I find plenty of reason to grow discouraged, depressed, and even cynical. And Paul is encouraging the Corinthians that that will happen if you only focus on, on what is seen But the moment your soul's gaze turns toward what is unseen, not those things that are temporary, that are part of this fallen creation that will waste away. But if you turn your soul's gaze to focus on those things that are of eternity then these afflictions will seem light. (laughs) These afflictions will seem small. And if we focus on that eternal way of glory that Paul is going to unpack for us here in chapter five, we as Christians can properly say the best is yet to come. Let's begin here in verse one of chapter five. I'm going to read all five verses here that we're going to cover, then return to verse one. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked." For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Let's return here to verse one, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, let's pause here. It is interesting that Paul seemingly wanting to encourage the Corinthian church starts by reminding them that this earthly body that he refers to a tent has an expiration date. My first point this morning is if we ignore our expiration date, we will waste our lives. Why does Paul want to begin by reminding the Corinthian church that these bodies will one day have an expiration date? Well, I remember in high school, I enjoyed the finest of dining the Quad Cities had to offer. I loved steak and shake. (laughs) I really enjoyed Steak and Shake in high school. Clearly, I had good taste. Uh, the Cheesy Cheddar Steak Burger was my go-to meal. And if you've ever wondered why men have smaller lifespans than women, the Cheesy Cheddar Steak Burger might be one of those culprits. But I remember the Lord hearing my prayers, and in the mail I received a whole page of Steak and Shake coupons. And I was overjoyed. Over the next few weeks, I started to take advantage of these newfound deals, and I would eat too much steak and shake for my own good. But I remember pulling into the parking lot one day, and I was scanning over about half the coupons I had left. But then I noticed something that I didn't see before. I noticed there was small print at the bottom of these coupons that I was ignorant of. Now you can probably imagine what that small print was. I looked a little closer and it was a date. It was an expiration date. And to my dismay, it had the date the day before I pulled up in the parking lot. These coupons were no good because I was ignorant of the expiration date. I wasted the rest of those coupons. So often we live through life wanting to ignore the fact. That one day we will enter eternity. That we one day will have to stand before the presence of a holy, holy, holy God and give an account for everything we've done, for every idle word we spoke, for every thought we ever did think. Imagine how that would change not just how we live, but how the world lives if they lived in light of eternity, knowing one day they would stand before God. How would you live differently? Imagine how would politicians vote differently if they had to give an account to God and they understood that reality? Our culture would change radically, but so often we want to ignore that and simply focus on the moment. As believers, when we live in light of eternity and we understand that one day we will stand before Christ, we will stand before God, and he will analyze our life, if you're like me, you'll understand that you will fail that trial, you will be found guilty and condemned, which for believers drives us to the foot of the cross where we go to Jesus and say, Christ, we need your blood to cleanse us, we need your sacrifice to propitiate the wrath of God and satisfy his demand for justice and Christ, we need your righteousness to close us, clothe us. So on that day we'll be found justified for the believer. When we live in light of eternity and we reflect on the redemptive work of Christ, we all can say for the Christian, the best is yet to come. Let's move forward to the second half here of verse one where again, it says, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Point two this morning, our current bodies are temporary like a tent, while our future resurrected bodies are permanent like a building, like a house, not made with human hands prepared for us in the heavens. So Paul wants to contrast our current state with our future state. And he says, and Paul would know this because he was a tent maker, he says, these bodies are fickle. These bodies are temporary. They will be taken down because we live in a fallen world. Our future resurrected bodies will be so much superior, not categorically different. We understand that there will be a physical bodily resurrection, but so much superior that this body's like a tent And our future resurrected body is like a building made in the heavens. I remember going camping a few years ago with some college friends and we brought our tent. We made it to the campsite as manly men. We were going to live off the land for the weekend and we were going to have a great time. Well, I recall that first night we set up our tent and one of my friends, uh, I can promise you it wasn't me, but one of my friends forgot to put the rest of the food in the truck and brought some leftovers into the tent. And now if you've ever gone camping in the Midwest, you would know there's an interesting phenomenon that happens when the sun goes down. There's a small invasion of raccoons that take over, right? Your campsite looking to mooch whatever leftovers they can find. So we woke up that next morning with a hole clawed into our tent and our leftovers gone. Uh, that was one lucky raccoon <laughs> that night. Later on our final night of camping, we were in our tent and a storm came and due to the heavy rains and the strong winds, our tent actually collapsed right on top of us. So we had to retreat to the truck for the rest of that night. Saints, that tent was insufficient. It was designed to be temporary to give us the bare minimum. I would hope that your house can withstand a small raccoon invasion, (laughs) right? I would hope your house doesn't collapse every time there's a storm. Why? Because a house is built to be permanent. It's customized to perfection. It's not meant to be the bare minimum. Saints, when we reflect on the resurrection of the body, we understand that these current bodies get sick. These bodies get cancer. These bodies age and will one day be taken down. We need something superior. And that's exactly what Paul says we will get on the other side of eternity. So again, our current bodies are temporary like a tent, while our future resurrected bodies are permanent like a building. Let's move forward here to verses two through four. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Point three this morning, our souls need eternal clothing. We need a physical body built for eternal perfection here in scripture we see that in these bodies we groan have you groaned lately (laughs) maybe after staying up till midnight last night the alarm went off and you groaned but i'm proud of you for making it here on church for the new year we groan we are burdened these bodies are breaking down they ache they hurt they get sick and paul says it's not that we desire to be unclothed it's not that we desire to be bodiless spirits even though in some popular depictions of the afterlife we get that myth right? After someone passes away, they become an angel, a bodiless spirit floating in the heavens, playing a harp on a cloud or something of that nature. That couldn't be further from the truth in scripture. We are embodied souls and in bodies. And it is our goal as uh, human beings to keep those two together at all costs. But we understand that we need something superior to what this physical body has to offer. Our souls desire eternity. Death is an enemy. Death wasn't part of the original sinless plan. Death, is from the fall. We need a body that can match our soul's need and desire for eternity. So it's not that we want to be unclothed. We need further clothing. We need sufficient clothing. I remember at church camp in high school, I decided to play paintball for the first time. I always thought it would be fun, but I never grew the confidence to do it until one day I decided I'm going to go out and I'm going to play paintball. Well, I went out there in just jeans and a t-shirt. Uh, (laughs) Some of you have paintballed before in your life. Uh, When I got out there, I noticed that these bullets weren't nerf. (laughs) These uh, were uh, a little bit uh, more hard. And uh, immediately as the game started, I bet the other team thought I was so naive. They were probably specifically targeting me to teach me a lesson. I remember that first bullet hitting me in the back. And just immediately, I was writhing in pain. And two seconds in, I wanted to quit. And then two, three, four, five more bullets hit me, and I thought if I just lay on the ground, maybe they'll show some mercy. Uh, but I had welts for months after playing that paintball game, and I still haven't got the confidence to go back out there again. But if you gave me a bulletproof vest, I might be willing to go back out there. Uh, if if I had the right armor, if I had adequate, sufficient clothing, I would have loved the game of paintball. But because I had insufficient where that day it hurt a ton. So too in these bodies, these bodies are good, but we recognize they're insufficient for eternity. We ache, we have pain, we get sick. And one day they will be taken down. Paul says our resurrected bodies are going to be built for eternal perfection. That these bodies will be more than sufficient. And that we will rise again one day. And for eternity in the new heavens and new earth, like a mansion built in the heavens for you, it will be customized to perfection. And again, Christians, these aren't going to be a categorically different type of body. We will rise from the dead, just like our Lord did after three days, and we will have these bodies, but they will be sinless. They will be perfected. Cancer can't touch those bodies. Age can't have power over those bodies, and there will be no death, no pain, no suffering. Not even a tear will be shed in eternity. And when we think of that reality, we can't help but say, for the Christian, the best Is yet to come. Let's continue here to verse 5 this morning. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. I love here at the beginning of verse 5 God takes ownership over ensuring you experience this resurrection, that God is the one who prepared you for this very thing. He takes responsibility for ensuring his elect people will experience this eternal perfection, which really does take the pressure off a sinner like me, right? If I was responsible for ensuring that I'm good enough, that I'm sinless enough, that I'm faithful enough, I would have no confidence and no assurance that I would make it to glory. But God is the one who's preparing you for this thing. And we can glorify him for that. But my fourth point uh, this morning is the Holy Spirit is our seal and guarantee ensuring we will experience this resurrection. Let me read this again. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Now, in this text, Paul only mentions the Spirit as a guarantee, which could also be translated deposit or down payment, but other parts in the Pauline epistle, he's very clear that the Spirit functions in two specific ways as a seal and a guarantee. Very briefly, let me read First Corinthians chapter one for you, just a few pages earlier in this epistle, where he explains exactly this. Second uh, Corinthians chapter one, verses twenty through twenty-two. Paul says this, and listen closely to what the spiritual is. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes with you in Christ and has anointed us, listen closely, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Here again, we see that seal that guarantee. Ephesians chapter one actually includes this as well in a little more detail. Paul, again, writing to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter one, verses 13 through 14 says this, in him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So here Paul in Ephesians says the spirit is your seal and he's the deposit down payment guarantee that you will receive your eternal inheritance. Let's start here with seal. What comes to mind when you hear that term? When I think of seal, I think of maybe mailing a package and you put that strong tape on it to ensure that it is sealed, that whatever's inside is safe so that nothing can accidentally tear it apart. Kind of reminds me of Romans chapter eight, where Paul says nothing in all of creation can separate you from the love of God in Christ as if you were sealed With the Holy Spirit. But also, this seal can mean an authoritative validation of a law or decree by the authority of someone pretty great. In fact, in the ancient world, kings would have a signet ring that they would dip in wax, and whenever a law is passed, they would seal that law, giving it its authority as being, uh, basically effective in all the land. So sealing has that bring together and, and fully sealing a package type of picture, but then also an authoritative validation. Let me give you an example of an authoritative validation in the Old Testament. Turn with me, if you would, to Esther chapter eight, very briefly, just to give you an example of this. If you're familiar with the book of Esther, you would know that Esther and Mordecai were in a constant battle, so to say, with Haman over what the king should do with the Jewish people. And Haman initially persuaded the king to put a valid decree, a law that the Jews could be slaughtered on a certain day. And Esther, because she was created for a time such as this, because of the encouragement of Mordecai, was able to persuade the king to put out a second decree. And I want you to listen very closely to the wording of the authority of this decree, beginning here in verse seven of chapter eight of Esther. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman and they have hanged him on the gallows because he intended to lay hands on the Jews but you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king and seal it with the king's ring. Now listen closely to what comes next. Saints for an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. Think about this for a second. If a pagan king had the authority to seal a decree making it irrevocable, how much more so when the king of kings seals you with the Holy Spirit is that an irrevocable decree from God that you are one of his elect? Even the pagan king's seal was irrevocable. How much more so if you know Christ this morning? You have the Spirit. Is that an irrevocable seal from God that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ? I love this imagery of a seal that Paul uses over and over and over to encourage the Corinthian church to not lose heart. What a powerful encouragement that is to us this morning. But also we see the spirit is a guarantee. Again, the Greek word could indicate a deposit or down payment. And I'm not sure if you've ever bought a house before. Many of us probably have. And most of us had to probably get a loan from the bank. Uh, Now, if you were able to pay for your house in cash, Dave Ramsey would be very proud of you. Good job. Uh, But but also, if you borrowed money from the bank, the bank is not a charity, right? And they want their money back in full plus some, so they need some evidence that they can trust you, that you will follow through on your promise. So usually we give a down payment or a deposit, maybe it's 20% or whatever of uh, the home's price, and you give that as a promise guaranteeing that the rest will come in the future. Now, unfortunately, fallen humanity does not always follow through on their promises. So sometimes the bank forecloses on our house but here we have god saying i'm giving you the spirit as this down payment as this deposit i know that you can't see the resurrection right now i know you can't see the new heavens and new earth those things are unseen and in the future but i'm going to give you the spirit of god the third person of the trinity as a down payment and deposit to guarantee that you will receive your inheritance one day in the future and god never fails on his promises and will never foreclose on your salvation." The spirit is a seal and a deposit. This would encourage me if I'm in the church of Corinth. And suddenly the afflictions that I see around me seem light compared to the eternal perfection of glory that I can look forward to. So in light of the spirit functioning as the seal and guarantee of the father that we can be assured that we will one day receive our eternal inheritance of a resurrected body, I can't help but say, for the Christian, the best is yet to come. Let me briefly recap for us our points this morning before we wrap up our message. First and foremost, from chapter 5 here of Second Corinthians, we recognize that we need to remember our expiration date and live in light of eternity so we don't waste our lives. I think many people don't come to Christ because they are ignorant or they choose to ignore the fact that they will one day give an account to a holy, holy, holy God for every idle word they ever dared out of their mouths. And when we think about that, we know we can't have confidence on that day if we are pleading our own righteousness and it drives us to a need for a savior and Christ will always satisfy God. And therefore in Christ, we can have confidence that we will be justified on that day. Number two, we recognize our resurrected bodies are going to be superior to our earthly bodies. Contrasting a tent in a heavenly mansion, this body is pretty good, but it's temporary it does the bare minimum. It gets sick. It gets cancer. It eventually will be taken down. Our heavenly resurrected bodies will be sinless, perfect, and designed for eternity. Number three, our eternal souls need an eternal body as we do not want to separate soul and body. Death is an enemy. Death is a part of the fall. And in eternity, we will have a physical, that's an important point, a physical resurrection where we will live in the new heavens and new earth with Christ. We are in soul bodies and embodied souls, and we need a body to match our soul's desire for eternity. And what a joy that will be to experience the perfect creation of the new heavens and new earth in a perfected heavenly mansion of a body. Number four, the spirit is our seal and deposit guaranteeing our promised inheritance of the bodily resurrection. God has prepared this thing for you. He takes ownership. He has given the third person of the Trinity as a seal, the third person of the Trinity as a deposit. He is taking full responsibility for ensuring his elect people will make it to glory. And that should give you assurance every time that you fall into your sin, every time you experience your imperfection, the spirit will remind you that Christ is the one who has earned your justification and the spirit is the one who has sealed you because the father knew you from eternity past. And our assurance is not in ourself, it's in the very triune God that one day we will be in eternity. Let me close this morning by returning To where we started. Let me reread for us 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. And now we can read this in light of what Paul described in chapter 5. And I want to give you an example of someone who didn't just believe this, but lived this out. So again, here in verse 16, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal way of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let me give you an encouraging example of this in church history of someone who, went, if he focused on only those things that are seen, he had a lot of reasons to feel afflicted, to feel discouraged, to feel cynical. But because he was focused on what was unseen, he had every reason to believe the best was yet to come. John Bradford was an English theologian in the 16th century. And very quickly, he read the writings of Martin Luther and found they aligned perfectly with scripture. And he embraced embraced the Reformation teaching of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, according to scripture alone, through Christ alone, and for the glory of God alone. And he found himself quickly rising through the ranks, teaching alongside of Reformation giants in England like Thomas Cranmer, Hugh Latimer, Nicholas Ridley. Now, if you know your history, you would know that those three theological giants didn't make it. To their old age. Uh, Very soon, Queen Mary, otherwise known as Bloody Mary, came to the throne and wanted to throw off the Reformation uh, gains that were happening in the 16th century, and she wanted to return to the old religion. Well, in light of this, persecution came throughout the land, and John Bradford found himself in prison with Hugh Latimer, Nicholas Ridley, and Thomas Cranmer. They were used to being in the same classroom, now they're in the same prison. And what's interesting is when the queen put out the decree that they should be burned at the stake, something very interesting happened. It's not new to Christianity to be persecuted, right? Jesus said this would happen. There are many martyrs in the faith who became like their Lord, laying down their life for the glory of God. That is not anything new, but something unique happened in the example of John Bradford. That as he was preparing to go to the stake, a lady in his congregation did something very special and theologically intentional for this martyr. She found the best fabric she could find and she put her gifts to use and she wanted to design a very special outfit For her pastor as he prepared to enter glory. And when she finished this, she gave it to John and he put it on. Now, if you were an observer at this time and you didn't know John was on his way to be burned, you would look at him and assume he's on his way to a wedding. Now think for a moment, why would this congregant want John to be dressed in the finest of clothes and to be prepared to attend a wedding when he's on his way to the stake. Both John and this congregant understood that if they only focus on what is seen— Again, there was every reason to be discouraged. You would look ahead and see the wood being gathered. You would look around and see mockers mocking your faith. You would see your own government has turned against you. You had every reason to be discouraged. But when they cast their soul's gaze to eternity on what is unseen, they understood that the resurrection of the body was going to happen and John needed to be dressed to attend the wedding supper of the Lamb. Right, and there was a strong theological point that they were saying that John is going to be raised from the dead, he is going to be in glory, this is a physical resurrection, and he's gonna celebrate the union he can have with Christ in that marriage supper of the Lamb. They both understood that the eternal weight of glory made the afflictions, even if those afflictions involved a stake and being burned, were light and small. Compared to the eternity of perfection that they were looking forward to, they understood for the Christian, the best is yet to come. But I don't want to leave this in the abstract. For you, Or I don't want you to think that this is only true for older Christians who were excellent saints, who lived awesome lives. You might be thinking, I'm no John Bradford, <laughs> right? I'm not this major theologian. I don't know how much persecution I could handle, much less giving my life for Christ. Well, saints, these promises aren't just for the really, really good Christians. They are for every single one of God's elect people whom he has sealed with the Spirit of God. So if you know Christ this morning, These words apply to you. Let me bring this closer to home and close with one final scripture in John chapter 6. Either it's on the screen or turn with me there. John chapter 6 verses 35 through 40 where I want you to apply these very words to your soul and be encouraged to take hearts that the best is yet to come. John chapter six, verses 35 through 40. This is one of my favorite passages of scripture, uh, by the way, and it specifically applies to the resurrection of the body. John chapter six, verses 35 through 40. Be encouraged by the words of your Lord this morning. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out for I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me before I move forward. Do you think the son would ever fail to do the will of the father? Jesus is the perfect son of God will never fail to do what the father has entrusted him to do. So what is it? Verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father. Listen closely. That everyone, that includes you this morning, everyone, who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Saints think about this passage. Redemption is a Trinitarian work of God. We know the father knows his elect people in eternity past. We know that he has sent the son with a mission to not fail, to raise up this select people on the last day. And even more so, he has sent the third person of the Trinity, the spirit to seal and guarantee that this will happen. Saints, I don't know what's going on in your life, but take heart about these truths that Jesus will not fail to raise you up on the last day. I want you to think for a moment of Christians in your life that, as the scriptures say, so eloquently, have fallen asleep in the Lord. Um, I love that language, by the way, in the New Testament, that when we look at Christians who have passed into glory, they're just sleeping. Why? Because they're going to wake up, right? There's going to be a resurrection of the body. And those who have fallen asleep, maybe for you you're thinking of a parent who has passed away. Let me encourage you from John 6 that Jesus will not fail to raise up mom or dad on that last day. Maybe you've recently lost a spouse who knew Christ. We know that Jesus, when he comes back, will not fail to raise that person up on the last day. And I want to encourage you to think of yourself, that if you know Christ this morning, you can better believe that when Jesus comes back, he's not going to forget about you either. (laughs) You might say, but I'm small, I'm insignificant, I'm no John Bradford but you are one of the sheep of God and Jesus will leave the 99 to ensure he doesn't forget even one in light of all this, the fact that we know that God has sealed us with his spirit. He has invested in us with the down payment of his spirit, that he has sent the son on a mission to raise us up on the last day. How can we as believers looking at this world, we have every reason to be discouraged, but looking into eternity, we have every reason to declare for the Christian Better yet, for you, the best is yet to come. Let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your word. God, we pray that your spirit fill our hearts, Lord, just as your spirit inspired scripture. We pray that your spirit soften our souls to receive what you had to say. God, I pray that your spirit work in such a way to convict us and bring us to repentance if we don't know your son Jesus yet. That when we think of that day of judgment, when our expiration date comes, your word says it's appointed once for man to die and then to be judged. That when we think of that terrifying moment of standing before a perfect holy God and presenting our imperfected sinful life, that we'll be found guilty. May your spirit drive us to the foot of the cross and apply like the Passover lamb, apply his blood on our souls and give us his righteousness so we can have assurance that we'll be found not guilty on that day. But God, encourage your saints to not lose heart in 2023. To not be distracted by only focusing on what is seen, what is temporary, what is a part of the fall, but rather cast our soul's gaze on you and eternity and the resurrection of the body, that we can rejoice knowing that the eternal weight of glory that is waiting for us, that is promised to us, that Christ will not fail to give us on that day, will one day be ours and make the afflictions of this world seem light and insignificant. But God, we do want to magnify you and glorify you for the work you have done, the work you are doing, and the work you will do. And we give 2023 to you, trusting in your providence that you will glorify yourself in it and work out all things for the good who those for those who love you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.